the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And so if you want to have victory over being upset over the success of non-Christians, while you may be experiencing very little success, then by faith, you look ahead and think about what the future holds for these successful unbelievers and what the future holds for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. IBM's website devotes a lot of attention to a product called Watson. Watson is a very powerful computer designed to answer questions asked in natural speech. In 2011, Watson competed on the TV show Jeopardy and won the first prize of $1 million. One claim on the IBM website states, Discover new insights to find new opportunities, fuel growth, and beat competitors. Ironically, Watson is named after IBM's first chairman of the board, Thomas J. Watson, who in 1943 famously said, I think there is a world market for about five computers. (laughs) There are countless other examples of spectacularly wrong predictions made by experts in all sorts of fields. They demonstrate that we are not very good at anticipating the future, even when the Bible clearly spells out the most important aspects of our future. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Fret not because of evildoers. That's the way David began Psalm 37. And that's the title of our current series here on Verse by Verse. Actually, in the New American Standard Bible, it begins, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. Jesus addressed the same issue in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5.5, he said, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. We get pretty worked up sometimes when we see evil people seeming to enjoy one success after another. But Jesus reminded us that their success will be short-lived. The tables will be turned when Jesus comes back and establishes his millennial kingdom. And they will be turned even farther in the eternal state. So, be patient and stay humble. Moses was an amazing man. He was fearless when facing Pharaoh. He was a strong and courageous leader before and during the Exodus. And yet the Bible calls him the most humble man on the planet. One illustration of that humility is in Numbers 12, when Aaron and Miriam rebelled because Moses married a Cushite woman. Moses held his peace and let God deal with the rebellion. Let's pick up the story there. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, what we read here is that God met with all three of them, with Aaron and Miriam and Moses, and he reiterated to them that Moses was his chosen leader. Moses was his special servant, and that he was angry with Aaron and Miriam for speaking against their brother. As the story continues, we see that God, in his anger, pronounced a judgment upon Miriam. Why Miriam? Well, apparently she was the instigator of this rebellion. So we continue, verse 10. 
But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned towards Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried to the Lord saying, O God, heal her, I pray. Now God's judgment upon Miriam was that he made her a leper so that her skin was white. In fact, it says white as as snow. It's most fitting, most appropriate punishment for her because, as you'll recall, what was her problem? Miriam's problem with Moses was that he had married a woman whose skin was black. So God made her skin white. Here's the way James Montgomery Boyce, with great insight, explains what was happening. He says, the text says, the anger of the Lord burned against them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. In other words, he says, God said to Miriam, you're offended because your brother married a black woman. You're brown and you think light is better than dark. Why not be white then? See how you like it. (laughs) So the judgment was so horrible, so horrible that Aaron pleaded for Miriam with Moses. And Moses, then we read, interceded to the Lord, and Miriam was healed. The story, we don't have to read it, but the story goes on in Numbers to say that God did heal her after a little while, after a little while. Now, the reason I want you to see the story is because of the way that Moses reacted to his brother and sister. They rebelled against him. They insulted his wife. They challenged his authority, but his reaction was not to get angry. His reaction was not to fight back. His reaction was not to defend himself. Instead, he prayed for his sister to be healed. And the reason he reacted this way is because Moses was a meek and humble man. That's why the text in this very passage tells us that. This is how humility responds Now, Moses was meek, he was humble, therefore his strength was under God's control because he was in submission to God. And I remind you, Moses was not a weakling. Moses was not a pushover. He was a strong man. His strength, we see it in the way he stood up to Pharaoh. Many times he said, let my people go, and he did not back down. He refused to go away until Pharaoh gave him the request, but his strength was under control because he was a meek man, the meekest man on the face of the earth at that time. Now, if we put all this together then, that Jesus was voicing in his beatitude the same message about meekness that David wrote about in Psalm 37, then we would have to conclude that what David was teaching his generation of believers was that the way to not fret over evil men is by being under God's control and in submission to God himself. In other words, he was teaching them how to be meek, how to be humble, by teaching them what a meek and humble individual is like, how he acts, how he behaves, how they react to problems, especially the problem of the prosperity of the wicked and of their own personal suffering. That's exactly what we see, folks, in Psalm 37. This is a psalm that instructs us about how to keep from getting upset when ungodly people prosper 
and we don't. And it does this by teaching us how those who are meek keep from fretting and worrying and being envious and jealous of others who have more than we do. Now, as you recall from our study last session, we saw that in the opening section of this psalm, which consists of the first 11 verses of the psalm, David gives us two ways to keep from being upset over the prosperity of the wicked. First of all, he tells us to look ahead to the future. To look ahead to the future. Notice verse 2. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Now what David is telling us in this verse, and something that he'll repeat throughout this psalm, is that the way to keep from being upset over the prosperity of the wicked is to look ahead and see what the future holds for the wicked. Because their future is quite bleak. Quite bleak, like the grass of the field, which flourishes only for a season, and then it quickly withers. So the success of the wicked, David is saying, is very brief. It's fleeting. It's only here for a season. In other words, their time in the sun will soon be over because they are going to die, and that's the end of their prosperity and success forever. See, what David wants us to do is to get the big picture of what's in store For unbelievers, while they may enjoy some luxuries in this world, it's only temporary. It'll soon pass because their lives will soon pass. And when their lives end, they will be judged for their sins forever in hell. Now, that's the future of the wicked. And if you can keep that in mind, you won't fret over anything or anyone in what they enjoy now. Because this is a sobering thought, because the wicked will never enjoy Another moment once they die. Not another moment. See, without this eternal perspective, it is easy to get upset over the circumstances in this world. But that's why the Bible keeps stressing that we need to think of the long view of eternity. And we conduct our lives in light of not what's happening around us now, but in light of eternity. For example... Romans 8.18, which has been a comfort to many people, it ought to be a comfort to all of us, for I consider, Paul said, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. What a wonderful truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Ever wonder how the Apostle Paul, which so many with so many disappointments, didn't get discouraged, didn't lose heart? He tells us, therefore, he says, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, how does this inner man get renewed? Well, it thinks properly. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction. That's what Paul called this world suffering. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's how Paul kept going. To focus on the invisible by faith of what he didn't see, but knew by faith was coming. And then there's that marvelous passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Peter says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, meaning the earth and the heavens are going to be renewed, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct? And godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. What he's saying is knowing the future ought to make you godly in the present. And so if you want to have victory over being upset over the success of non-Christians, while you may be experiencing very little success, then by faith, you look ahead and think about what the future holds for these successful unbelievers and what the future holds for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. But looking ahead isn't the only thing that David tells us to do. The second way he instructs us to keep from being upset over evil doers. It's not just look ahead, but look up to God. Look up to God. He says in verse 3, and this is all somewhat review, though I'm adding some to it. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now, starting with this command to trust in the Lord, David teaches us that the way to keep from being upset over the prosperity of the wicked is by cultivating a spirit of meekness. And the way to cultivate a spirit of meekness is by looking to the Lord rather than looking at others, other people, or at our circumstances, making sure that our relationship with the Lord is right. And so from verse 3 until verse 7, David gives us several commands concerning our personal walk and relationship with the Lord to help us develop a meek spirit so that we will react properly to the prosperity of evildoers. And the first command, as we saw last session, is to trust in the Lord. But what we what we discovered in our study is this is not a generic trust in the Lord. This is a trust in the Lord to provide for what you need, just as God has promised to do. Trust him to do what he said he would do in meeting all of your needs. And the reason I say that is because David adds the words, and do good and do good. The good that he's referring to here is the good of obeying the word of God. And I say that because we went back to Leviticus 26. We saw that part of the covenant that God made with Israel is that the Jewish people were commanded to obey God's laws. And if they did that, then God said he would bless them, bless them in the land, agriculturally, with prosperity, he would provide for all of their needs. That's, that's part of the, the blessing of the covenant God made with Israel. That's why David says in the next phrase, dwell in the land. What land? The land of Israel. And he says, cultivate faithfulness. This term, cultivate faithfulness, it means to feed off of God's faithfulness, draw strength from God's faithfulness. In other words, what David is saying, trust God to be faithful to keep his word to you, the word of blessing you and providing for you in the land of Israel as you obey him. Do good by obeying his word. So how do we develop an attitude of meekness? We do it by obeying God and trusting the Lord to meet our needs, just as he said he would. This is the New Testament equivalent of Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things that you've been worrying about. Don't worry, because they'll be added to you. This is Philippians chapter 4. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Trust God to be faithful to what he said he would do. We're not to covet what others have. 
nor do, are we to be upset if others have more than us. We're just to concern ourselves with obeying Jesus and trusting him to provide for our needs because that's what he said he would do. Now, I want to continue to see what else David tells us to do in order to develop this meek spirit. So we move to the next verse, and in doing that, we see that in addition to trusting in the Lord, David now commands us, and it is a command, to delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And David says that the way to develop this, this meek, humble, gentle spirit is by delighting in the Lord. The question is, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? How does someone delight in the Lord? Well, in order to understand what David is saying, it's important to remember why he is writing these words. He's writing to people who were upset, envious over the material prosperity, as we've said, of the wicked. And they they felt this way, at least in part, because, note this, they wanted to enjoy some of the prosperity for themselves. In other words, they wanted to delight in some of the luxuries that others were delighting in. They wanted a little enjoyment in these material goods as well. So what David is telling them is that the way to develop a meek spirit that does not fret over what other people have is by delighting in the Lord, enjoying him, being satisfied with him. You see, it's one thing to delight in the things that God gives us, It's quite another thing to delight in God himself. So how exactly do we delight in the Lord? This is a critical question. It's an important question that we have to answer because if you don't nail this down and you don't understand what it means to delight in the Lord, I'm just afraid that the words delight yourself in the Lord sound so vague and so ambiguous to obey that we're we're not going to obey it, but we must obey it. This is a command. God says that we are to delight in him. So what does this mean? Well, we certainly know how to delight in certain things that we find enjoyable, don't we? Whether it be delighting in our spouse by spending time with him or her, or delighting in our favorite sports team by watching them play and beating other certain teams, which will remain unnamed, or delighting in food by enjoying a good meal, or delighting in our children or grandchildren by by playing with them. We know what that means. So if we know how to delight in these things, then how do we delight in the Lord? Listen closely. Essentially, we delight in the Lord by getting to know him better so that we can admire him, so that we can adore him, so that we can enjoy him for who he is. I love the way one Bible teacher put it. He said, know him. Learn of him, study him, explore his ways, investigate his will. Become a student of the personality and the character of God, and he will most surely captivate your mind. To delight in him is to behold his beauty in all of its vast array, the symmetry of his attributes, the intricacies of his handiwork, the splendor of his power, the the majesty of his mercy. And the list, he says, could go on quite literally infinitely. With the Spirit's help, we must learn, he says, to cultivate and redirect all affections so that they are rooted in him and they are riveted to him. So if you want victory over being irked 
by the prosperity of others, then stop looking at what other people have. Start looking to the Lord and see what you have in him. Everything of real value is found in Jesus Christ. Everything. Wisdom. Holiness. Justice. Love. Compassion. Integrity. Power. On and on and on it goes. Delight in him and you won't care about the material luxuries that other people are delighting in. That's David's point. Delight in the Lord and don't worry about what other people are delighting in. You delight in him. And when you are delighting in the Lord, not only does he take away your envious attitude of wanting what others have, but notice David says that to those who delight in the Lord, he gives them something. He takes away that envious attitude, but he also gives them something. He gives them, he says, the desires of their heart. Notice verse 4 again, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, let me explain. This can't possibly be a promise that God will give us whatever we want. I say that because, remember, the people that David was writing to wanted what the wicked had. That was their problem. They were envious. They were jealous of the material prosperity of others. So so David obviously isn't saying that if you just delight in the Lord, then the Lord was going to give you whatever your greedy little heart desires. I mean, that was the problem. He's correcting. He's not encouraging that. He's not accommodating that. So what is David saying? Well, he's saying that those who delight themselves in the Lord are given the desires of their heart because when you delight in the Lord, your desires become godly desires. That's the point. In other words, when you delight in God, you have righteous desires. And it's those desires, those righteous desires that God grants. Why? Because those desires honor him. Those desires give him pleasure. So he loves to to grant us those. They're not selfish desires. Listen, if you're having trouble coveting what other people have and you resent the prosperity of others, start delighting in the Lord and he'll give you new righteous desires. Instead of desiring material things, that's the way to keep from being upset over the success of evildoers. Now, so far, David has told us that the way to develop a meek and a humble spirit is, number one, trusting in God, trusting in him what? To provide for what we need so that we don't care if others have more than us because we believe that God is faithful to meet our needs. And by delighting in God, trusting in him, but delighting him so that he gives us now righteous desires in place of unrighteous desires for the material things that others have. In C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, young Edmund Pevensey fell under the spell of the wicked queen who ruled over Narnia so completely that he betrayed his family to her. She captured Edmund's heart by giving him a treat called Turkish Delight, which she had obviously enchanted somehow. Turkish delight became Edmund's delight, so much so that he would do anything to get more. Is there anything in your life that delights you that much? Some people delight in money, some in power. For some it's fame, but for real blessings, eternal blessings, we need to delight in the Lord. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
If you'd like to know more about Lakeside, call 727-441-1714 or visit www.lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside, but we also depend on the gifts and prayers of listeners like you. If listening to these programs has been helpful, perhaps you'd ask the Lord about helping support Verse by Verse. We have giving information on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or you can call Lakeside at the number I mentioned a moment ago, 727-441-1714. While you're at our website, we hope you'll take advantage of some of the free downloads we offer. There are hundreds of previous broadcasts on our message archive page. Remember, versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. When I change the oil in my car, I have to raise it enough to get under it. So I use a jack to lift it and then set it down on a jack stand. The stand takes the weight of the car. Now I can look at that car all day sitting on the jack stand and tell everyone that the stand will hold up the car without collapsing. But once I place myself under the car to access the drain plug, I'm making a commitment, aren't I? That's the kind of commitment God wants from us when He says to trust Him. I hope you'll join us for Pastor Steve Kreloff's next lesson here on Verse by Verse as he continues this series from Psalm 37. Both Jesus and King David had much to say about worry and about trust. What they say will help us in dealing with what looks like an unjust world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.